Hey everybody, Paul Turner here from thediscipleproject.net, and I'm coming at you a little differently today because, well, this is a different kind of podcast. You see, today's discussion involves a topic that has affected every youth worker one time or another, and that's that feeling of being alone, alone in our calling, alone in our vocations, as youth workers, even alone in our churches. But don't worry, you see, I brought a friend along to help us. His name's Timothy Eldred. And he's an author, he's a speaker, he's a pastor, he's all those things. But, you know, he started a youth movement, you know, across the globe and all those things. But in his heart, he's a youth worker. He's a youth worker who loves other youth workers and wants to see them become whole. You know, he's just recently written a book called Alone Sucks. And you know, I can't think of a better phrase that sometimes sums up life in general, but also life in youth ministry. So Tim's going to help us along, help us navigate, have a discussion about this. He's going to drop some wisdom on us. So let's go ahead and join the conversation. Well, everybody, I'm here with my friend, Timothy Eldred. He's been my friend for a very long time. And this is the first time I think we've done a podcast together because um, uh, I haven't had a podcast. When we were back in the day, there was no technology to do a podcast of sorts. Uh, we just wrote each other letters and occasionally an email. So welcome in, Tim. Hey, it is our first podcast, you know, not our first good discussion or argument. But. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll have both of those today, possibly. We'll see. I'm but, hoping uh, so. You know, we can't debate. <laughs> let's just wrestle. You know? so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and Tim uh, is on the show today, for those that are listening, uh, because Tim has written a book that is going to relate to every single youth worker that hears this. Um, and the title of his book is Alone Sucks. And that yeah. relays to youth workers so much. Tim. And I, I don't want to say this is not just a book for youth workers, but since that's the majority of the people that are going to be listening to this podcast, uh, we're going to gear some of these questions to them because I think it's going to impact them. I also believe it's going to impact the students that they lead because they're going to have to listen for themselves and they're going to be listening for the sake of their students. Uh, who are also sitting quietly saying alone sucks for them too. So uh, there may be no better people in the world to minister to students than youth workers in that context because they sense and feel it uh, so much of the time. You know, Paul, I I saw a post this morning by a friend, a colleague of ours, who's been in youth ministry for a very long time, and uh, they made the announcement after nearly 20 years of youth work, uh, they're done. And um, they said, if you want to know more, um, send me a direct message. So I did. And this person wrote a very long, lengthy response to me on Messenger. And um, my wife and I share a Facebook account. So halfway through the morning, she texted me and she just said, wow, that person feels so alone and depressed, you need to make sure you are coming alongside of them. And so just to build on your point, I do think youth workers understand just based upon the nature of our calling, the pain of feeling alone and alienated and isolated and trying to do something and with, without a lot of cheerleaders, you know, without a lot of understanding. Yeah. So we really can empathize with the students that we, we, we work with and um, what they feel like most days. 
Well, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of things to write about, Tim. And I want you to just throw your perspective in here because you could be writing about a lot of things right now. You could be writing about politics. You could be writing about uh, sports. You could be writing about um, a lot of I could of- combine the two and by- Politics and sports in one thing today. <laughs> That's right. And you, well, you're working. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could. You could be writing about a lot of issues that are facing the world, the nation, all those various things. And yet, you wanted to write a book about alone. Now, tell me a little bit about what was the kind of the uh, mm. the impetus of of saying, "Listen, this book has to be written, and it's got to get out there, and it's got to get into some people's hands um, because this is an issue." Why? Why do you think it's such an issue that needs to be out? in the, uh, in the universe? Well, I appreciate the question. I, um, I wrestled with that for a long time because this book's been in my heart for many years and I've never written it. Um, and Paul, we've done this thing, ministering to caring for reaching youth with the message of Jesus that haven't produced the results that we're looking for. And so we're always lo- seeking the common denominator. You know, the church kid, the non-church kid, the apathetic kid, the energetic kid, um, male, female, doesn't matter. What is it that we can say or do or create or plan that will bridge the gap and care for or speak to any one of them? And I'm I'm not positive in 27 years of youth work that— there's any issue I've ever seen, and I give the Lord credit for hopefully giving me discernment on this issue, um, that students, youth workers, parents, you know, like you said at the beginning, this book transcends demographics. Um, it's an issue of identity. People are looking for identity. They want to know they matter. They want to feel significant. And I think the most important word that um, is on my mind recently in writing this book is the word belong. They want to belong because they're tired of faking it to fit in. Faking it to fit in is not belonging. It is not identity. It's artificial, you know, and we, we kind of live in this artificial world, but we're craving authentic relationship and because we're not finding it in hallways, in homes, in social media, or, or the marketplace, or wherever, we've settled for artificial, and yet we feel like, does nobody notice me? Do I constantly have to pretend? And so, as I looked at my own life, and I looked at my own struggles, and I tried to remember 16 and um, compared that with, you know, almost 50, I, I, when I look in the mirror, I feel like the same kid. And when I look in the mirror, I can remember what it felt like to not belong. I can really begin to understand the students and the people God puts in my path and to work with. So I don't think, whether it been 10 years ago or 10 years from now, 
Um, for some reason, I, I, I feel led by God to write this book at the moment because as I see the world dividing and our nation dividing and nations dividing and families dividing and churches dividing and pol- political parties dividing, I'm thinking, what is it that would bring us back together? What's the? Is there one thing in Scripture that could get us to understand one another? And for me, it's the word alone. And so... I think this is the right time, and I'm excited to see how God may use this book to help transform some lives. Well, you make a, uh, such a good point, Tim, because that word belong also, you know, uh, will resonate with youth workers because it's so hard sometimes for a youth worker to find himself in, uh, within his own church to find that belonging place, right? You're not quite, you don't quite work with the adults and the kids are over here and you're busy trying to find your group or, or some sort of connection uh, with the people. Well, and we've already, we've already compartmentalized the youth program. And so therefore the youth worker too. So we've set them aside and isolated them from the congregation at large. So we've already, you know, got a strike against us. Right, right. We're not, the, 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 the church is not doing a great job. Or I'll, say, I'll say many churches. I won't say most because I've not been to most churches, but I'll say many churches have, uh, have done that and have um, uh, you know, not figured out how to integrate youth in with the rest of the culture uh, yeah. and also take care of that person who's take caring of, taking care of that, that young person or those young people uh, to help them and, and find the way to support them in those you know, in those situations and areas where they are feeling alone. Um, you know, I would say the vast majority of, of pastors do not know what their youth workers are feeling, you know, in those desperate times, because many youth pastors will not tell their pastor that they're feeling alone. And so, no, I mean, we've got insecurity issues. I do. And so, um, Maybe I'm the only one on the podcast with insecurity That's, issues. But, you know, you're, you're hired to do. do a job, whether you're paid or not paid. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to be an expert at what you do. And you don't want to admit that I don't, I'm kind of just slinging spaghetti against the wall, hoping something will stick here. And no one really comes alongside because no one – you're hired or supposed to know the heartbeat of teenagers. And, and for most of us – I think we make it up, you know, we hope we understand, we're supposed to understand, we become cultural experts, but connecting with students and then connecting with their parents and then really not being, and and most most of your listeners, Paul, I mean, I've been dealing with a lot of youth workers for a long time, and many of them are, like when you and I started out, you know, we're in our early 20s, we don't have teenagers, and yet we're expected to fix teenage problems for parents, and yet parents don't really want to listen to us because we don't have kids. And so you put all that together, and it adds up to this sense of where do I fit in, you know? Sure. Or maybe you're the youth worker listening, and you're the only youth worker for miles yeah. that, 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 you know, that you know of. You know, there is no network meeting for you or association of people for you. It's just you and a handful of students. And no, you don't know what you're supposed to do. You know, you don't know what you're supposed to do. Your, your, your heart breaks for these kids, and we pretend that we know what we're doing, but, you know, we're just out of desperation trying to, to, to help them help them belong. Sure, but that also brings me to my next question is this, is that you in the book say that people are not lonely on purpose, right? And there's nothing a youth worker is doing. They're, they're just accepting. Youth workers are accepting a call upon their life. 
they're saying, look, I want to work with teenagers. I want to, and yet sometimes they, you know, uh, myself included, find ourselves in situations. Uh, we're, we're not lonely on purpose. We're not. We're not seeking. We're not seeking martyrdom. We're not. Se- at least most of us aren't. Uh, you know that we're not seeking that. But we're not lonely on purpose. What do you mean by that when you say that in the book? Because I find it to be an interesting statement that you know we say, you know that we don't want to be alone and uh, and, and we're not doing it on purpose. But but what does that mean then? I think lonely happens. I think we trip into it by accident. I think with all of our best intentions, um, when we come home at the end of a day or an event or an activity or get up in the morning, sometimes we drift. We, 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 we just drift. And so, like, I wonder a lot about me. Probably a lot of people wonder about me. But I wonder a lot about me when I'm um, working in isolation. You know, go back to the premise of the book that begins in Genesis, chapter 2, where God says it's not good to be alone. And we've probably all preached that at a wedding, you know. Sure. Uh, but it's really not about marriage. It's about humanity. And yet I spend so much time talking with and encouraging youth workers. And my first question to them is, where do you spend your time? And for the majority of them, pastors, youth workers, you know, regardless of the, the vocation, we're in an office, we're behind a desk or a computer, we're planning and preparing and polishing some kind of event or program with the best intentions of drawing a crowd and getting students engaged in the Word of God or with the Son of God. And yet, the majority of our time is um, not necessarily in connectivity. We're not always engaged with other people. And so when you spend a lot of time serving others, caring for others and working alone, you just find yourself falling into this pit. You know, there's a fine line between a a pit or a rut in a grave. And if we're not careful, we get in this place of, I can do it by myself. That's alone. Um, No one wants to help me. I'm the only person doing that. You know, that's alone. Um, No one else cares. That's alone. I mean, alone happens in many different ways. No one sets out intentionally to go, I'm, well, that's not true. There's, there's a few of us lone readers out there that aren't smart enough to, you know, write a book and still not figure it out. Right. You know, make your wife feel lonely all the time. Right. Um, But when we feel that pit of despair, like, ah, this sucks, you know, Um, no one woke up in the morning and said, I want to, I want to be miserable. No one woke up and said, I want to be an addict. No one woke up and said, I want to be a prostitute. No one woke up and said, I want to be a child molester. No one woke up. All of those issues are the symptom of something greater. I think the cause of most of the symptoms is the issue of alone, and I don't think anybody intentionally tries to put themselves in that lonely position. No, nobody, nobody puts themselves there. But the, what you said about what the, you know, this, this kind of inner dialogue – that youth workers go through is not unlike uh, many times Elijah, who said, "I am mm. the only one. I am the only prophet." Right? I, I and then God had to come and remind him that there's look, I got four thousand more. They're all over the place. You you Great don't point. know that, yeah, right. But but you know, in doing that, uh, that inner that inner dialogue 
is so critical. And, and But, you know, Tim, there's something, too, that's so... Oh, it's so sinister sometimes. And this is, applies to any part of life. It's, it's not just the ministry, but we're in the ministry, so I, I put it in that context, is if you're not connecting with God and you're not connecting with others, what a desperate place that is. What, a, what an alone, if you're not, if you can't stretch out and you're not touching, touching God and you can't stretch out and touch others, boy, that's a, you talk about a miserable, miserable place that is. Now, so let me open up a can of worms because I'm good Please at that. Please do. Please do. Well, I go back to that text where, you know, God and Adam are, I'm, I'm assuming, and it's not in Scripture, so I don't want to read into it, but there's a dialogue going on like, hey, God, this is beautiful. This sunset's beautiful. This vista's beautiful. This creation is beautiful. And he goes, of course it is. God's sitting here with you, just you and I hanging out here. This is this is good. And God said, well, it's not good. I wanted to tell you something. I've been meaning to mention to you that you're alone. And Adam probably has to go, all right, cool. What's alone? <laughs> you know, that's a new idea. That's a new concept. That's a that's a new revelation. And so what God is telling us, and as I read the text, I'm hearing God say something that we might not be comfortable with. He's saying, a relationship with me is not enough. Now, we can agree with that, but I think God may be taking that one step farther. And I think if we at least consider this thought I want to share, it might help us. God might be saying, even before you need a relationship with me, you need somebody with skin on. Because that's tangible. You can touch that. And so that's important. I'm not trying to put them in a hierarchy, but we get so into the ministry, into our preparation, into sermon writing, into our devotions, into our quiet time, into our prayer time. And we focus all this time, or we pretend we focus all this time, on our relationship with God that we don't build that other relationship with horizontally. And so I, I never... As you read the book, Paul, you know that I didn't touch on the, the, the vertical relationship with God because we've all written on that and read on that and how important it is for us to have this daily interaction and engagement with our Heavenly Father. Right. And, um, and, and while we teach our students that and our churches that, what pales— and what we fail to do is recognize that we were created in God's image, and that is relational. We were created for relationship. And when God saw Adam had a void, he didn't draw closer to Adam. He created encouragement. He created support. He created accountability. He created something tangible to complete us in our humanity. Well, isn't it funny too, though, that God is the one who noticed that Adam was alone, right? He's in perfect world. And in a perfect world, you know, there are a lot of people, youth workers included, who would say, well, I only need God. This is all I need. I only need, I only need the Father. I only need Jesus. And that's where that's, you know, you've heard people say, well, it's just Jesus and me. It's just Jesus and me, Lord. And you know what? We, that, I think that there is the start of alone. I think that's where people say, all I need is Jesus and everybody else can go suck an egg. And when we start doing that, God comes along and says, oh, by the way, I noticed you're alone. <laughs> and, and how funny is that, that we, we say, we're saying, look, Lord, I'm depending completely on you. And, and, and that's what Adam was doing. And yet God comes along and says, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to give you somebody else too. 
See, now that's a fascinating point that I have never actually pondered, that Adam didn't recognize his own condition. God had to point it out. And isn't that what we do quite often when we work with students? We have to help them recognize their need. You know, we get to play that role. We get to see that, but we don't do it for ourselves. You know, when I got done writing the book a few weeks ago, um, I was just reflecting on, I don't know how many thousands of pages in reams I have read on the issue of alone, lonely, and aloneness. And there's distinctions between those, as people will see as they read the book. And I'm going to say a rough guesstimate is eight out of ten times counselors, psychiatrists, self-help people, almost 80% of everything I read said, you can get out of your lonely aloneness by yourself. And I'm thinking, what? That, that's how you got there in the first place. You, you tripped into the hole and you're not going to climb out of the hole by yourself. And then, but because we come at it, the topic from a biblical standpoint, we really have to think when God said the very first time God told us something was wrong, it wasn't about sin, it wasn't about the fall. God told us in the very beginning, hey, this is going to be the cause of your biggest problems alone. And oh, by the way, alone is going to be the cure for your biggest problems. And yep. so it's, it's beautiful that God pointed out our symptoms and the solution to them at the same moment. And so going back to one of your first questions of why now, Paul, because I think we've ignored the first revelation God gave humankind for millennia. Yeah. And I think we continue to trip into these holes and struggles. And I just wonder how many marriages could have been saved, how many students could have been saved, how many suicides could have been prevented, how many people like me didn't have to go down the road of addiction. If someone would have stepped into the world and said, oh, by the way, you haven't noticed, you're alone, and come alongside and stand with you, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I would, but I, I would also say though that someone will, someone will read the same text and say that alone, yes, was, was part of the problem. But then some people will say, well, relationships are part of the problem too, because <laughs> the because the after the relationship started, uh, then then there's some other things that went down. But you know what? But see, listen, there's that, there's a fair argument on either side. But we're going to go with my. Uh, we're going to go with that, <laughs> right? But listen, but I think that's but I think that's the point too. That that it is a it is a catch twenty two. You're not going. You're certainly not going to make it by yourself. Okay, that's not going to happen. Yes, you're going to have trouble in your relationships. But there's people who would rather just not have relationships and just not have anything, and say, well, it's going to be messy. It's going to be this, and I don't want to do this. And you know, you listen to a kid. A kid. I, I remember uh, a parent asking me. A kid, a kid didn't want to go anywhere, and I said, well, what's you know? We talked about it. I said, you know what his problem is. He doesn't want to go to the party because he doesn't feel like anybody. He doesn't feel like he connects with anybody. He doesn't want to go here. He doesn't want to go there because he doesn't connect. And it is that, and, and I think it's true of the human uh, condition that not only does alone not work, but sometimes relationships don't work. And we say, well, that's not going to. And that's where ultimately, yes, the vertical, the relationship with God, must come in for wholeness and for. Uh, completion Absolutely. and all those things, because nobody Eve did not completely and totally 
fulfill Adam. It's not just the relationship, but it's the it's the connection we have we have to have with people and with God. And neither one of those can be left out of the out of the equation. Otherwise, there will be that nagging ache that we feel yeah. all the time. Alone is a good protection. You know, a lot of people who choose isolation. Well, I don't think you choose necessarily lonely. I think lonely is a result of isolating yourselves. Now, you can be isolated by others as well, but when we choose to withdraw, quite often it's because in a relationship we have been hurt. We have put our heart out there and we've had somebody just stomp it into the ground. We've had somebody make fun of us when we opened up and we shared honestly. And so it just becomes easier. I get that. I have I have lived that in spades. And um, to put myself out there just to be criticized or rebuked. And sometimes it's deserving. And sometimes I just don't like it because I did deserve, um, even if it was done in love. Sure. And um, someone tried to hold you accountable, you know, discipline in love. And even that's painful. And so... You know, the question becomes, what pain is worse? And there are people listening who go, um, relationships are a worse pain than alone. And I would just say, I'm sorry you feel that way. And I'm, your feelings aren't right or wrong. They just are. However, perhaps we've not been very um, adept or... We have been taken advantage of, and we have not fallen into healthy relationship. And I'm not sure today, and especially for the students we serve, if they understand healthy relationship. Like I, I, I tweeted the other day about artificial and authentic and got response to, maybe we need to start defining what authentic looks like to a student. And I think that's a great question. What does authentic look like? I mean, I know what it looks like to me, the nurture and the care and the support and um, the comfort and everything that comes with that. But, you know, that might be how I receive love and what's fulfilling and filling to me. Um, if people are in a hole of aloneness or in a pit of despair or protecting themselves from being hurt again. We have to help them. And that's the job of a youth worker. And it's not going to be exactly the same. That's why there, there's no cookie cutter approach at the end of the book right. um, of how to help people get out of this trap because it's relational. I can't program your aloneness away. Right. I can't plan your aloneness away. You know, I can't do the same thing week after week, month after month, or even mix it up because no matter how hard I try, um, I've got to create an environment or atmosphere where authentic relationship can take place. And that may be with me and a student, or it might not be because I may not connect with a student like you do. But, I, but I'm, I'm working, and I, I hope that's what youth workers hear, is we have an opportunity to create environments that the world will never create because they're not Christ-centered. I mean, the world does a really good job in some ways of, better than the church, of letting kids feel like they belong and they matter. But without that vertical aspect of Christ right. in it, 
Right. It's never full and it's never complete. So there's never been a better time, in my opinion, in a hurting, desperate generation to be in youth work. Exactly. Exactly. Because the, the, the concerts or the, or the YouTube videos or the whatever, they're, they're, they're going to be what they're going to be. They're, but, I, you know, those are, just, those are just little snacks. Those are just little things that, that are never ultimately fulfilling. Uh, it gives that, you know, that hormonal bump. Uh, uh, you know, dopamine and other things. But at the end, when that all happens and comes down, you look around, you go, well, that was fun. I got to go do something else now. I got to go. I got to go get that same reaction or that same thing as well. And if I could put a, uh, uh, before we switch gears, I want to put a little cautionary tale in here as well, that there's so many youth workers, because of that aloneness, find their identity in the youth ministry and with students, which becomes in and itself a dangerous place to be, uh, because if you're alone, you're willing to reach out and and try to connect with students that you know, and especially if you're younger, if you're the 24 year old, you know, ministering to the 16, 17, 18 year old. Sometimes you you begin to find your tribes, and uh, you know, since you you can't reach upwards, sometimes sometimes you go lower, and you you t- tend to find your 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 crowd with that. And I guess my my exhortation would be. Is to is to if you're sensing and feeling that it's it's coming back to your point of being authentic. Uh, I would say that going and trying to find your your place amongst the younger crowd would be less authentic than reaching upward to to the older saints in the church or the older uh, believers in the church who can help you know graft you into the vine so to speak right to to help you do that. And, uh, and I just, that just came to my mind. I just wanted to encourage youth workers. And Tim, if you have any thoughts on that, I, I find that to be, um, you know, guys that are young guys that are in the field and, uh, you know, skew younger when they want to, you know, when they're trying to connect with people, they don't connect very well with adults, right? We've been through that, right? We they don't connect with the adult world. And so they tend to skew their relationships younger and thereby uh, stay a little bit even more immature through the process of ministry. Yeah, it's a that's a it's a tough balance I think that comes with a few years of youth work or ministry and having your knees knocked out from into you a, a few times. It's no different than when your wife draws the line and says, "Hey, you can't have kids here every night of the week." You know, <laughs> I've and never, um, I've never I, I, I need some adult conversation. It's like the mom at home during the day. You know, get the kids, lock them up, put them away. I need some adult conversation. You know, when someone comes home. And that is a really good word, Paul, to encourage youth workers to uh, youth ministry is a vocation. I know we want to call it our calling, but but let's boundaries are important. And so it is a calling, but it's also your vocation, but it can't be your life because you need people who can pour into you or who do have the spiritual maturity and the experience and the grade haired wisdom, or at least of the same age as you, um, to come alongside and, and to really fill some of those voids that students can't meet. And yet we've seen that many times a lot of people in youth work who get their needs met by hanging out with kids. And so that's just another cautionary you know, point for, and, for and a your audience to hear. And a symptom. And a symptom, yeah. A symptom of aloneness. You know, we gravitate to the to the low hanging fruit, if you will, where we get our 
accolades where everybody loves us. We're the superstar. And once again, if you're listening to this, and I hope you are, the, the fact that Tim and I are old as dirt is the reason why we say these things is because we have been in every situation we're talking about. There is, there is no judgment here on our part. We're speaking from absolute experience that we have been uh, down in the hole, as the book says. We have been down in the hole and w- wanting and desiring other people to get us out, and yet we're, we're waiting for somebody to get in the hole with us to show us the way out. And oftentimes that comes through those adult uh, relationships that we have, uh, you know, that we have versus having those relationships with students who sometimes only fosters our aloneness versus versus getting us out and helping us on the journey. Uh, so I want you. I want to encourage you, listeners. Don't 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 turn us off yet. Just know that we're we're speaking because we love you guys and because we're uh, uh, because we've been down that in that hole before. Uh, Tim, if we can just switch gears uh, and move into uh, talking about now, your book gives some tips. Uh, and once again, I want to say this too. I, there's a you know I, I was going to ask this question, but I, I don't want to get into all of that because I want people to read your book, Tim. The, the, the stories you tell in the book of your life, you talk a lot about hitting rock bottom. You use the word again quite a bit in regards to being in that situation. Uh, and I, I, we can't mention all the times you hit rock bottom because I want people to read the book and listen to the story. There's things in there that I didn't know. I've, you know, I've, and I've known you for almost at least 20 years, if not, if not more. But uh, for me to read it and just go, oh my goodness, this guy. He's, he's, what is wrong with this guy? What is wrong with this guy? What, <laughs> what is wrong with it? And look, I'm reading it. And I'm going, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. But doggone, makes me. Yeah, makes, you would, you would, you would have abandoned me a long time ago. That Paul. is not. That is not true at all. I would have <laughs> identified. I would have identified. I would have said, okay, I, I understand. Now I, I understand why this guy is so messed up. I know, right? Uh, right. My empathy, my empathy kicked in. I just started feeling more and more empathetic. I just went, Tim needs a hug. And, uh, <laughs> and so listen, so, uh, just talk about real quick about the rock bottom, right? There's a lot of guys that maybe will never and read the book. You'll, they're never going to hit the lows that you hit yet because a lot of the youth workers we're talking about, they're in ministry and so forth. That is filled with its own sense of rock bottom, but talk to these guys about, um, you know, who experience this loneliness, but they don't find themselves necessarily at rock bottom. It's just sort of, it's more like a, it's not, I fell down the stairs and I'm laying at the bottom of the stairs. Help me somebody. I cannot get up, which in the, in the book, you find yourself in various scenarios <laughs> that found yourself in that position. But there's a lot of guys listening to that. Maybe they've gone through all their rock bottom experiences thus far. Hopefully, all the all the ones you talk about, at least they've already done that. But now it's more like a, a nagging backache. It's more like, and you you're familiar with that as well, uh, having some surgeries on your back and things. You know that this loneliness, this aloneness, feels like that nagging backache. How do how do people, um, you know? get back or, or I guess the revelation, right? How do they get to the revelation? Rock bottom is often revelation time, which you had several of them in the book, but where does the revelation come then that alone is not good and I have to face it? Yeah. You know, we've all used this phrase that, you know, you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And sometimes we don't know we're sick and tired. So I think rock bottom is relative. And if we're, 
rock bottom is going to mean different things for different people. But if we're not careful and we um, pretend that we're not, because I kept going to new lows and new lows and new lows. You think, where, how much lower can you go? And so when you look at my life in the book and you see some of the dark, deep, depressing times, but you back up a few years, you would think that was rock bottom, wouldn't you? But yet yeah. there's another gear there. I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's, another, there's another layer to that, to that hole. I think there are times with, that we are at rock bottom for the moment in our life. Um, it might not be the worst time that we ever could have, but it might be the worst time we've ever experienced it might not be to the point of medication and counseling, um, but it's like my back. You referenced my back and my spine surgeries. and um, That dull, nagging, never-ending, whether it be back pain, heart pain, pit in your stomach, lump in your throat, tear in your eye moment in your life, when those don't subside, when those don't subside and you feel like, man, this will never end, that is a good warning sign that you might be approaching one of those rock bottom moments. If your pain and your frustration and your feelings of aloneness come and go and you get over them relatively quickly and then you can rebound and good. You've probably got some systems in your life and some relationships in your life um, that are helping you not wallow in your despair. But if that despair continues to just linger, then I would encourage people to pay attention because that ends up into – and it's – I just got a, um, an article sent to me yesterday. How loneliness now is considered by multiple uh, medical professions to be um, more of a deadly killer than obesity. You know, I, th- I believe I know the same study you're talking about, and I remember seeing a TED talk about it, mm-hmm. uh, talking about the, the fact that relationships play a significant part in, in the length of age of how long people live. And the yeah. quality of their life as they live. The problem I had with the articles, they really wanted to focus a lot on the elderly, and which is a problem, which is a significant problem. And it's really ironic that the fact that the older people get, the more lonely they get, we put them in a greater situation of isolation, which just exacerbates the problem and you know um, expedites their their death. Um, but this this bottomless pit, or this you know. You hit rock bottom. I, I think, Paul, it goes back to the question you said, you, you asked earlier, like, we don't choose lonely. It sneaks up on you. Um, I, th- I think that bottomless pit does as well. For me, here's where it came in, and here's where it kept getting deeper. Instead of looking to relationships to fill the void, because I was afraid of relationships, I've been hurt in relationships. We've already discussed that issue. I would look for an alternative or artificial means of filling my void and my loneliness. And that artificial 
alternative took me down a deeper rabbit hole when what I really needed was authentic relationship. But I was so afraid of having that. So it becomes this vicious cycle. And you would think, hmm, you can't go any farther. You can't go any deeper. But you can when you try to fill it with something that is not genuine and whole. Right. I say in the book, you can't deal with the hole you're in until you figure out how to get yourself whole. Right, right. W H and, and that's an art. That's an authentic relationship. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, and Tim, I, as we kind of get nearing the end of our time here, I don't want you to escape without because you give some great tips in the book at the end of the book on dealing with the alone trap that that we find ourselves in <clears throat> sometimes by. Uh, ignoring signs, sometimes by other things, but you give a pretty good, I don't want to necessarily call it a prescription per se, but as a, as a foundational, some, some steps that you can take that says, look, here's, here's some of the process you can go through to find your way out of the hole. And what are some of those things that youth workers right now can, can start to evaluate in their own lives um, in order to, to get to that place of wholeness that, that you're talking about? Well, the first thing I would encourage them to do is consider how much time they actually spend in isolation. And um, even for your work. And so if, if we're not careful, and we're spending the majority of our time of our day or our week or whatever it might be, apart from others and apart from connectivity, um, it should be a warning sign. Um, not a warning sign that something bad is going to happen um, but you're you're playing with fire. Number one, number two. Um, not only where do you spend your time, but who do you spend your time with? I mean, this goes back to the issue of: Am I using students to get my needs met, or am I really being challenged by other people um, who will take me deeper, who will care for me, and be honest with me and authentic? I mean, aloneness, what's so funny about it, Paul, is all the steps that I really worked hard not to prescribe. Right. Because it is so relative. Yes. But, you know, and I have no problem giving the end of everything away in in this this conversation because I tell people all the time, um, I remember having a conversation in my my home just a few few weeks ago with a, a young college lady, and she was asking about the book, and she said, so what's the answer? He says, it's real simple. If you don't want to be alone, um, you're tired of feeling like you're alone and no one cares, um, go help somebody else not feel that way. And that's all you've got to do. I mean, it's all you have to do, yeah. which is kind of uh, kind of funny because you say you can't get out of your hole alone, but you're going to have to get out of your hole to get in somebody else's hole. And um, just start recognizing those things you see in people and to start seeing them through your own pain. I mean, we were talking before we began the interview just about, you know, the, um, the whole kneeling, boycotting, sitting during the, or not coming out through the national anthem of the, right. you know, NFL football games and the whole deal. And you know, we can get into the whole controversy, but at the end of the day, the bottom line is someone just standing up and going, Hey, would someone notice that I'm, I'm standing for somebody and I'm, I'm coming alongside of somebody and if we would start having that kind of, I mean, I don't care what side of the issue you're on. If you sit, kneel, stand, you know, whatever, genuflect, I don't care. You know, during the, during the, during the, during the national anthem, like, it doesn't matter to me. Right. What matters is you've got the ability to see through your pain 
somebody else's situation, and that's empathy. That is empathy. And what would just happen if we just saw each other through empathetic eyes, the way that God sees us as broken and hurting and in need of a horizontal relationship? I mean, we need that vertical relationship for salvation, and we need that horizontal relationship just for survival. Yeah. Yeah. And you bring that up, by the way, and I, and I don't remember. I remember you saying it in the, in the book that we need an empathetic epidemic. We need an epidemic of empathy. And, and I know everything's not in place yet for this, but tell me a little bit why you want to start that kind of epidemic and why that kind of epidemic is so critical in, in just everyday life. Yeah, the call to action. You know, there's two calls to action at the end of the, end of the book, and there's really just one. And that tells people to start an empathy epidemic. And um, they'll be able to go to alonesucks.com and register here in the next few days for the empathy epidemic, where we give practical ways for students, for parents, for husbands, for wives, for coworkers, for managers, for CEOs, for pastors, for youth workers, to begin recognizing and seeing the signs of aloneness and then reflecting on it from the situation or the pain you've experienced in your own life and learning not to, and this is difficult, learning not to pass judgment on the situation. This week I wrote a blog, and I guess it was last week I wrote a blog, then the first 48 hours of my week on Sunday or Monday and Tuesday, I was confronted with four heroin overdoses in my county, two failing marriages, wow. one suicide attempt, another self-harm issue, and a rape within the first 48 hours of my week. And Cindy and I sat down, and we were discussing one of those situations, and it was really easy. It was real easy for me to be hypocritical, as the author of this book, and immediately begin to cast dis, you know, disparaging thoughts and, and judgment on a particular individual and go, well, he, and then I just said, what kind of pain must that person be going through? to make that long-term decision for a short-term um, struggle. And I, I mean, we had to catch each other, and we use the word sitting in our home. We have to work harder on empathy and see people through our previous pain. And the reason I believe an empathy epidemic actually will work and will catch on is because if we're honest, there's nobody listening, and it doesn't matter the age. Even even children understand what it feels like at some time to be alone. And if we can just remember how much that hurt, it should not be hard for us to set judgment aside and come alongside of people, kneel with them, stand with them, pray with them, whatever it possibly means. But to enter their despair and help them out of it, that would be an empathy epidemic, Paul. And I believe it crosses um, oceans and 
ages and you name it. And there's just there there's not a, there's not a population that yeah. it doesn't apply to in this world today. Absolutely, and that should start in the church where we are working to be inclusive and not exclusive. And the way we do that is through empathy, seeing people the way that God talks about seeing us in Hebrews chapter six, that, you know, he, it's, he, he sees us through these eyes of compassion. And how much more does, do students need that empathy as well? Uh, it's quick to judge. It's quick to, uh, say, oh, these dumb kids and this and that. I say, if you can remember your worst day in junior high, you can be a good mm. youth worker. Okay, if you, and that's the only qualification. That's the only, if you can remember that day, <laughs> you can minister to a young person. Because well, if, Paul, there's some hope. There's some real hope because actually, I believe that we have a, a generation that we are serving as youth workers who are more empathetic than we are. I agree, and so. If, if we can create that space and raise that challenge for them, it's already within their wheelhouse. They're already bent that way. This most desperate generation is also one of the most empathetic, at least I've seen in my lifetime. Well, yeah, my daughter is very fond, and she's 24 years old, and is very fond of reminding me uh, of of my privileged life and that I need to look into the through the eyes of others. And uh, so, so I have heard, I have heard the empathy, and I have uh, taken it to heart. And uh, she has done a good job of instructing me. But that counts too for all these youth workers too, who are who are doing a good job and who are uh, doing their best to minister to kids and love on kids. And uh, and I encourage you, youth workers, to continue to do so. Continue to be empathetic. Continue to take a moment and just say, "Man, that must be hard." I can remember a time when that was me. And even if you can't, right, even if you can't totally relate to that particular situation, you can always remember the times of self-doubting. You can always remember the times that you were alone in that moment and remind yourself, I was there. I was there. No matter what the condition was, no matter what I was going through, even though it's different than that kid, I can remember that I was alone. And that is a feeling that you take with you for the rest of your life because if, if you'll remember a lot of things. You remember the, maybe the last time you were so mad. But I think even stronger than that is the time you'll remember when you were so alone. And that's how I think we can, we can pass on and be empathetic in the moment and say that's, that's what we need to be. And I would give more, one more word to that, Paul, that you and I would agree on in our years of, um, as veteran youth workers. If you can't remember, and, and, and sometimes... Some people, you know, grew up without a lot of struggles. Sure. And they're in youth work. And they don't necessarily understand the reason some students make decisions because they never made those decisions. And um, just remember that maybe you weren't there. And, and the word of encouragement I would give your audience today is if you really want to understand the pain students are going through, quit talking so much and start asking more questions just start asking more questions and listen defer judgment and just be that soft place where students can be absorbed into because the world is shouting at them 
Sometimes in their homes where they're being shouted at. Sometimes from their pulpits they're being shouted at. From their from their teachers or wherever their bosses or wherever it might be, you be that voice that asks and listens. Because when we value their voice, we give them value, and that breaks down aloneness. That's right. That's right. Tim, such a good word today. Such a great book uh, that I hope our listeners will check out. By the way, where can they go? When does it come out? Give me the, some of the details of when the book comes out, and then also some places where uh, youth workers can contact you and connect with you. Well, the book's available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Book. They can get it at my website, timothyeldred.com. They can find it at alonesucks.com. And, um, so, and probably just about any local bookstore. It's, it's releasing on October 1st. Depending on the speed of that boat coming from China, I've been told, it could be a day behind from the printer, according to my publisher. Right. And so, but the best way they can find it is alonesucks.com. That'll give links to their favorite retailer. And, um, and if they decide they want to use it with multiple students um, through alonesucks.com as well, they can um, find bulk discounting. Um, on the book so that it becomes affordable and then be watching sign up for the email sign up for the empathy epidemic and they'll find out that there's a youth ministry curriculum coming out with it as well in just a few weeks awesome tim awesome tim thank you so much for being on the podcast today and uh hopefully uh, our youth workers as the as the title of this says we want to keep youth workers motivated and we want to keep their youth ministries moving forward. And I, I believe that uh, if people will sit down and have sat down, if you've sat down and listened to this, my hope and my heart and Tim's heart as well is that both of those things have been accomplished and you feel like you're walking away a winner today. And that uh, feel free to reach out to Tim or myself. Uh, if you're going through some things, we'd be happy to help you. Thanks again, Tim, for hanging out with me today. Always good, Paul. Well, I hope all of you enjoyed that conversation today as much as I did. I hope our discussion offered you some insight and some tips on how to deal with that nagging feeling of aloneness. You know, just a reminder, I'll include the links to all of Tim's sites and socials in the show notes, but if you want a deeper dive, a a little mini worksheet, if you will, to process all of this, you can sign up for the Fresh Impact Newsletter at thedisciplesproject.net. Just click on resources and you can subscribe there. Also, If you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes of the Youth Ministry in Motion podcast, I'd love it if you would simply stop by iTunes, give a few stars and a review so that I can be found in search. And while you're there, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you can get these downloaded as I produce them. Now, if you know a fellow youth worker struggling with that aloneness, go ahead and share this with them. They'll they'll tell you thank you. They'll say thanks for that. So I'll thank you guys for listening today, and I'll catch you guys in the next episode.